But I really want to take advantage of Dr. Steve Shen being with us because I knew he was going to be with us all week long. And I love the world of art. I love the world of sports. And I love the world of surgery. So where do we see hands and the value, the subtleties of how our fingers can move millimeters? I mean, think about it. When I do surgery, I'm not wearing magnifying glasses. I'm doing a hip re- Yesterday I did two hip replacements and four knee replacements. I'm not using a microscope. And I can move my fingers and my hands with a hammer and a saw and all the tools that I love to use to be a carpenter in the body. And yet, in the room above me on the fifth floor, the neurosurgeons are working. They're they're trying to tease a tumor off of the brain that's as thin as a hair. So they've taken a microscope that allows them to see smaller than a human hair in the brain, and their hands can move microscopic movements. Think about that. How can our brain and our fingers move so quietly in millimeter increments and I'm swinging a hammer on the floor below? This is the subtlety of the electronics, the nerves, the blood vessels, the plumbing, the tendons, the muscles, and how the joints work. It's truly a miracle. And in the world of sports, when you get that miracle of subtleties of how to hold the baseball to create the spin, you get to create a pitch called the cutter that Mariano Rivera threw, and every baseball batter knew it was coming, and they could not hit it. Listen to Vin Scully talking about Mariano Rivera's pitch called the cutter. The cutter, which is a fastball that breaks, they say that his cutter breaks about eight inches. It's a remarkable pitch. Basically, it's the only pitch he throws now. And even though they know it's coming, they can't handle it. They can't handle it. So let's go to the science behind how the hell he makes the ball spin with these subtle movements in his fingers, in his hands. Mariano Rivera. Another way hitters try to identify pitches is by spin. Rivera's four-seam fastball leaves his hand at 90-plus miles an hour, rotating at roughly 1,500 RPM along a vertical axis, adjusting his grip by a few millimeters, literally a stitch or two, and altering fingertip pressure. Rivera's cutter leaves his hand just as fast, but spins on a tilted axis at up to 1,600 RPM. It's called the Magnus Effect. Spin creates pressure differentials in the airflow on each side of a ball, and the ball curves toward the lower pressure zone. This phenomenon is known as the Magnus Effect, and the faster the spin, the greater the curve. How much can it move? Eight inches. Literally, the ball drops right before it gets to home plate. To a batter's eye, the spin and velocity of Rivera's cutter look like his standard fastball. But since hitters only have about 17 hundredths of a second to correctly identify a pitch, they're usually wrong. By the time Rivera's cutter reaches the plate, it's moved laterally up to eight inches. And the majority of that movement is in the last 10 feet of the ball's flight. At that point, the human eye is physically unable to actually see a ball traveling that fast. 
Why can Mariano Rivera hold a baseball like no one else? What is it about the subtleties of his fingers that allow him to do that? It comes from the fact that he grew up dirt poor in Panama, the son of a sardine fisherman. He was going to be a fisherman until he realized, I'm not doing this for a living. The boat nearly capsized. His uncle actually died from a, a, a cable that snapped and knocked him off the boat and he died. So he realized, I'm not going to do this. And he loved soccer and he loved baseball. But in growing up to help his father make a living, Mariano Rivera had to, he learned how to lift the fishing nets up with both hands, all 10 fingers spread maximally to lift up the fishing nets. And you do that over and over again as a kid. He credits that to stretching and giving flexibility to his fingers so that he could hold a baseball like nobody else. Listen to him in his own words talk about, you want to know what poor is? How about your baseball glove is made of cardboard? The interviewer says, can you tell us what that's like? Mariano Rivera says, give me a cardboard box, give me a knife, and I'll show you. So on the video, you see him take a cardboard box, cut a hole in it, and make a baseball glove. Listen. I'm going to show you right now. I use this cotton board. Or kind of like this. This is my glove. So the paper, the paper box was your glove. Oh, that was a big glove. That was also a Smith glove, big time. Good glove. See, put a whole cutter bar, cut the uh, cotton board box behind there, put it there. My wrist. Here's my glove right here. Put me there. This is probably ball from anywhere. That was my glove. Wow. How do you make your fingers respond this way? Well, we hear about it in sports, in Mariano Rivera. What about in the art world, which I love so much? One of the greatest painters of all time, Renoir. Renoir, teammates with Claude Monet in the 1880s, revolutionized the art world and invented Impressionism. The most beautiful way to look at life with globs of colored paint that kind of look like what you're looking at in nature or a portrait, but it's not the realism that a photograph can do. It's better. It's because of the technique and how they could use their fingers. Here's the problem. Renoir's portraits being so beautiful because he had the skill. He only used seven colors, and but he knew how to mix them. The problem is he's, he later in his life got rheumatoid arthritis, which crippled his fingers. We know this because when we look at the portraits he did after 1888, you see the deformity in the fingers of the models because an artist can't help look at their own fingers when they paint, to paint the model. So you see the development of his rheumatoid arthritis in his portraits. It's a fascinating use of the subtleties of his fingers. His name was Renoir. And everybody that's been to Chicago knows on the terrace, which is in the Art Institute of Chicago. I love this painting because it's the scientists, it's the conservators there, Mary Jean Butler and Inga Fiedler, that study all their paintings to try and conserve them. They want to know how they're made and how they're put together. And they were able to determine that in this painting, Renoir only used seven paints. How was he able to get all those different kinds of variations of colors? 
be painted wet into wet. Listen to what wet onto wet means. That meant he took the paintbrush and he dipped it into one color, put it on the canvas, took a different paintbrush, put it into a different color, and then mixed it while it was still wet. Now, you know where I'm going with that. Did his technique change after he developed rheumatoid arthritis? Wet into wet, beautiful painting, varied colors, only seven. So here is Madame Clapizon that Inga sent me. And if you look in the upper right-hand corner where he signed his name, you can see that the individual colors are mixed. And some you can see as individualistic, and some you can see as blended together. The technique of wet on wet, but he's got to change because of the disease in his fingers. So since it takes several years before even a layperson can see the typical deformities of rheumatoid arthritis, maybe 1888 was the right time. Let's remember that date as the start of his rheumatoid arthritis. And so let's look at every painting after 1888. Two girls reading, young girls at the piano. That's Edward Manet's daughter and his goddaughter in the dark hair. And so what did he do? He took responsibility for his disease. He designed his own exercise equipments. He juggled leather balls. He played with his ball and peg game in which you throw the ball up and it's got a little hole in it and you catch it in the peg. But we see the deformity in the figures. Now here's a photograph he's talking about of what those deformities look like. But then in 1901, he gets a remission. And here he's painted again. But notice the swelling of his metacarpal phalangeal joint in that index finger. And look at the deformity in his hands as he's still sitting in that chair. And then in 1903, he moves to the south of France to seek the better weather. The disease takes over, but he's still able to paint. So I want to show you this movie of him actually painting now. Look at the ulnar deviation. Look at the paintbrush coming out in between his fingers. There is, for the people who can't see the movie that only saw a still of it, they, the lay literature says that he painted with the paintbrush in his hand, and he said no. He, he, he just held the paintbrush there, and you'll see that in the movie. The kinetic chain. He may be sitting in a wheelchair, but how he sits ultimately is what comes through his fingertips, and he's able to fight the disease even though he's so crippled. The subtleties of what a hand can do and how you can maintain yourself we see in Renoir. Listen to football player Drew Brees, who Dr. Steve Shin had to put back together again when he tore his ulnar collateral ligament in his thumb, but you say, what does the foot have to do with my fingertip and throwing the football? Everything. It's called the kinetic chain. To throw the perfect pass, it's all about the kinetic chain. It's now just a matter of that rhythm of the energy being transferred from my feet, then to my hips, all the way up to my shoulders. And as my arm's coming through, the last thing to leave the ball is that index finger. It's almost an optical illusion. We live our lives using our hands, but it's actually all together. From the bottom of our feet into our knee, our hip, our back, exiting. The last thing that that ball or racket sees is what comes off of our fingertips. The subtleties of our hands in art, in sports, and surgery. What a joy to be able to talk about it with Dr. Steve Shin. Coming up next, we'll get into, I'll take some calls. Maybe I'll have Dr. Shin answer some calls as well. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on ESPN LA 710. By the way, there's a Facebook page that Steve Paulette put together. Don't forget to visit this Facebook page. It says Weekend Warrior. Put that in the search. 
You'll see my picture. You'll be able to listen to all kinds of aspects of this show. I'm not good enough to do a Facebook page. Thank God I got Steve Paulette in my life. The Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. When I see the food, I eat it. Bada boom. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I'm on a light diet. I only eat when it's light out. Bada boom. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. I'm on a man with a stove. I'm going to let this music play. That's what they called Eric Clapton. Slow hand. Listening to him yesterday. The more complicated the surgery, the more I listen to Eric Clapton. And he just calms the room down. I feel bad for the nurses, but they actually enjoy it. Because many surgeons don't even listen to music. But I love listening to music. And unfortunately, I just love listening to Eric Clapton. So they hear it over and over again. But that's okay. The things could be worse. I'm so excited because I'm joined in studio by my good friend. And really, I respect the hell out of him. The great Dr. Steve Shin. Steve, thanks so much for waking up early and fighting the traffic to get here. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Robbie. So I... Love, passion, and and whether you work in a lumber yard or you're a surgeon, whatever you do for a living that draws you and what you have is passion for hand surgery. Where did that come from? You got exposed to pediatrics. You got exposed to spine surgery. You could do all kinds of knee surgery. What was it about hand surgery and when was that moment, and who is the surgeon that inspired you? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, I would say my passion uh, for hand surgery truly began back when I was in college. Really? Uh, yeah, that long ago. When I was a senior in college, I did uh, some research on, on a complex topic uh, in, in wrist surgery with, with my mentor, Dr. Arnold Peter Weiss at, at Brown. Uh, over in Rhode Island. And wow. uh, that's where I was in, in college uh, and, and, and medical school. And he was just a, a great guy, but a smart guy. And the way he interacted with patients and did research, amazing. And so I was like, you know what? I want to be like him. You know, that, so I kind of knew even before medical, medical school that hand surgery was the way I wanted to go. And then I had to choose between, all right, do I, am I going to be a bone doc, orthopedist and do it? Or am I going to be a plastic surgeon? Because they can both do it. Right. And, uh, I was like, you know what? I like putting things together. I like working with my hands. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I didn't want to do cosmetic surgery all day. So I was like, I'll do orthopedics and did that. Went to New York. Did that, and eventually did a year of training in just hand surgery, uh, and then uh, joined the famous uh, Curl and Joe Orthopedic Clinic, and uh, where I developed uh, uh, somewhat more great mentors like uh, Dr. Frank Job, who I miss dearly, Dr. Steve Lombardo, and Clarence Shields, who you know, right. uh, Dr. James Taboni, uh, and so over a course of about 15 years at Curl and Job, I was able to uh, develop the um, uh, this 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 continue to develop this passion um, in, in hand surgery but also treating uh, athletes. 
A good friend of both of ours is Dr. Elitrash, the Dodger doctor, the Ram doctor. And he gave a lecture that I went to. I enjoyed so much because I still see you and him as artists in addition to being great surgeons. And in this lecture, and this show is called The Weekend Warrior. It's about the people who watch sports when we play on the weekends. But the real warriors are the professional athletes. And the injuries are the same, right? Our bodies are the same. Many of the surgeries, not all of the surgeries are the same. But what I learned in this lecture that Dr. Elitrosh gave was in order for our bodies to throw a baseball at a 100 miles an hour, you're asking the ligaments, the tendons, the muscles, the cartilage, the joint to do something that actually is supernatural. So be careful, Dr. Elitrosh said to the audience of orthopedic surgeons. When you see a labral tear in an elite athlete's shoulder, when you see a capsular rip in an elite baseball player's shoulder, your temptation will be, I got to put stitches, I got to repair it, I got to make it right. But actually, he may have accommodated his body and ripped the hell out of the labrum and the capsule to get the torque and the speed so that he can throw 100 miles an hour. And that, in fact, if you repair it, he won't be able to do that anymore. When we listen to the subtleties of Mariano Rivera's cutter pitch that no one else can throw, or Drew Brees with an accuracy with a football that no one else has, and the elite athletes that you get to take care of for their hands, do you see similarities that they've had to accommodate their anatomy to allow them to become elite? Absolutely. I think, I think you're absolutely right. And Dr. Elitrash, a dear friend of mine and a brilliant, brilliant guy, um, he, 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 he taught me a lot of this and, 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 and taught me how to focus on the whole individual, uh, and not just one body part. So even though I'm a hand and wrist surgeon, you know, and as you mentioned before, the kinetic chain from the toes all the way to the fingertips, it's so true. And these athletes have to, uh, learn how to, push their body to the max, uh, to be able to do what they do. It's almost unhuman kind of what they do. Uh, but, um, um, but it's, it's absolutely true. They need to accommodate, uh, their bodies for the specific activity, whether it's throwing a baseball, throwing that cutter that you just talked about by Mariana Rivera or the football, you know, being able to get that, 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 um, that space between your thumb and your, and your fingers to grip that football like Drew Brees or even, or basketball, uh, whatever, whatever the sport, whatever the thing that you are that you're gripping. Um, I think that, um, uh, these players, these elite athletes really have to learn how to, accommodate their bodies for their activity. I know listening now is a friend of mine, Reinhold Schmieding, who's really developed a company that we're all very proud of, who are surgeons, because he actually listens to what we need in the operating room, and the company is Authrex. And you are very involved with Authrex in the design, and as I said in the introduction, about making the world a better place, moving the needle, getting people to have an injury and get back on the field, back to work. It doesn't necessarily have to be an elite athlete. And your fascination with what's known as an internal brace, which you're a real leader in the design and the development and bringing this cool new gadget to our world. I want to ask you, there's a difference. And we see football players tearing their ACLs all the time, and everybody knows, up oh, they're out for the season because we have to now use 
I don't like the cadaver as a graft. I prefer to use the athlete's own uh, structures and just rearrange the furniture in the knee. But I'm going to use something different to rebuild their ligament versus actually putting stitches in it. The synovial fluid doesn't let the ACL heal on its own like a ligament to the MCL or other areas. So you need surgery and you have to use a graft. The beautiful new world of repairing the ACL but it's really only for a select few in terms of the location of the tear. So we're not there yet. But the idea of repairing what's torn versus having to use a graft or some other body part, some other piece of furniture to make up for the fact that the, the living room chair is gone, so now you use a kitchen chair or whatever. That's basically what a graft is. That internal brace is now allowing you to use the patient's own ligament rather than a graft. Talk to me more about why you prefer to repair something versus reconstruct it. Sure. Um, it's, it's a great question. Um, and it's one of my, that is one of my passions within my passion actually right now mm-hmm. is, is, is studying, uh, this concept called an internal brace augmentation mm-hmm. of a ligament repair. So you're not replacing the ligament, at least we're not yet, with something synthetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're trying to uh, improve the strength of your repair um, and not have to use another tissue graft, like a tendon or something, mm-hmm. to replace the ligament that's torn. Um, and so this internal brace that we call it uh, really acts like a seatbelt. And that's what uh, Reinhold and Arthrex uh, 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 continuously say. And that's what we want to get across um, is that when you're stressing that ligament uh, right before the point of failure, okay, right before that ligament just wants to bust open again, you've got the seatbelt, this internal brace that kicks in. And so it's not going to take away from the strength of the healing of the ligament while it's healing. You don't want it to do that. You want it to just kick in at the right time. And so that's what gives me the confidence when I do this procedure, for example, for a thumb ulnar collateral ligament injury. So there's a different UCL from the from the more famous UCL on the elbow that where Tommy John surgery is done if mm-hmm. that's ruptured. So there's a smaller one in the thumb. And that's what Drew had torn. Uh, and that, Mike Trout and Chris Paul okay, and all sure. the other people you've taken. <laughs> right, right, sure, I love sure, it. Sure, sure, a few more. Uh, but um, so, so I was thinking, you know what? Uh, this and first of all, I didn't, I didn't invent this procedure. This mm-hmm. was a, a, another brilliant guy in Scotland, Dr. Gordon McKay, uh, came up with this concept with Arthrex, uh, using it for ankle instability mm-hmm. and trying to repair a ligament down there and try to get the with the internal brace and get these athletes back to walking, running, jumping much much sooner. And he was able to do that. So I was thinking, wow, it's working great in this weight bearing joint. Surely we can use it in the thumb for this very common injury. So I started doing it there um, and so refining the technique uh, over over time. And obviously Arthrex has, uh, has uh, they're the only company that offers the unique implants to do this internal brace augmentation. Mm. And so, and they were very receptive to surgeon feedback and allowed me to uh, give input uh, to the design as well as the techniques um, and finally came up with that perfect technique uh, to to use the internal brace for this thumb UCL tear. It uh, gives me the confidence to get the patients moving faster, getting them back to play faster. Uh, and it's not just athletes, by the way. <laughs> you know, uh, it's not just athletes that get these injuries, obviously. It's called skiers' thumbs. So people who ski get it right. too. But it's also, you know, someone who falls on the sidewalk, you know, right. and, and hyperextends their thumb or gets it caught on something and, 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 and thumb goes a different way and tears a ligament. And so anybody can get it. So anybody that doesn't, you know, want to be in a cast, 
after surgery, and traditionally you have to be for mm-hmm. at least a month, maybe six weeks, um, don't they don't have to be anymore. They mm-hmm. can get moving within two or three days, which is what these uh, uh, elite athletes have done. So it's been really amazing. I'm going to have to take a break, but when we come back, I tell the listeners, I see God in my life in two places. One, when I surf and a porpoise comes up next to me while I'm in the ocean, it just brings me back to who started this whole thing. And I see God in the operating room. And one of the most fascinating muscles in the body I actually don't deal with, but you do. Because a muscle is anchored to bone, crosses the joint, and allows us to move our elbow, our shoulder, our knee. It crosses the joint as a tendon, causes the movement. But there's one area of the body where the muscle actually doesn't originate from the bone. It originates from another muscle, the lumbrical. When you see a lumbrical, it makes you weep. It makes you appreciate who invented this. And I want to talk about that and a few other things. Coming up next with the great Dr. Steve Shin. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Robert Clapper is the head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai Medical Center. Each Saturday morning, and it's time for Dr. Clapper. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> this is the Weekend Warrior Show presented by Cedar sinai on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app. Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Yes, Doc. I love your show. Thank you. Um, now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Thank you, Steve Paulette, for playing Eric Clapton's Hand Jive. And we're playing that because my guest, my good friend, Dr. Steve Shin, is uh, one of the greatest hand surgeons in the country, and we're blessed to have him here in Los Angeles at Cedars. And I'm going to take advantage of that before I tell some stories and play some sound bites because we have a caller to talk about a hand injury, Ron from Ventura. Ron, thanks so much for calling in. I appreciate it. Good morning. Good morning. What do you do for a living? I am a retired physical therapist. Ah, okay. You've got the blood and, flowing. And, and, hand, and hand therapist. All right. Okay. So talk to us. What question do you have for Dr. Shin? So actually it's for my wife. She has a basal cell. She needs basal cell surgery. And, and the question is, is, uh, can the, uh, can the internal brace be used, uh, for basal, uh, um, basal joint repair to re- reduce recovery time and avoid, uh, mobilization? I'm glad you asked that question because that's another great reason to use the internal brace. So what you're referring to is arthritis at the base of the thumb near the wrist, which is a very common condition. Uh, we all get it someday in varying degrees. Uh, and if she has arthritis there, uh, then the typical surgery is to at least remove uh, a small bone so you don't have that bone-on-bone rubbing anymore. Uh, but then uh, a lot of surgeons will do something to try to keep the thumb uh, suspended, which by that I mean we prefer, try to prevent it the slump from sliding down and hitting another bone 
in the wrist. And that would be bad. That would be painful. So in order to try to keep the thumb suspended, um, we, we can use this internal brace concept. Uh, we use a, uh, it's basically a braided suture. So it's like a, we call it a tape. So it's, we call it a suture tape that's anchored between the uh, thumb um, metacarpal and the adjacent metacarpal. And it really acts as a very strong sling uh, to prevent that thumb from sliding down and hitting another bone. Uh, we've uh, done uh, initial studies on it that show it's three times stronger than the traditional procedure now, uh, uh, which is using a tendon. So you're sacrificing part or all of a tendon that God has given us for some other reason uh, to do the surgery and keep that th- thumb suspended. Um, so, um, but, you know, in order to avoid that, we can use this internal brace construct. It's been very successful. I've been doing it for several years. Uh, many other surgeons are now uh, adopting it, uh, and it's been great. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. With hair on top of my head. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Playing, it's she's under my thumb. You know what's under your thumb? The nail bed. There's the tip of the nail, and there's actually the germinal center of the nail. As my dad, the carpenter, used to say when I swung the hammer, helping him when I was 10 years old, and Robbie, he used to say, Don't forget. Don't hit the wrong nail, meaning hit the metal nail, not the nail on your finger. Complicated. That's what's underneath the thumb. And nobody knows more about what's under your thumb. It's not Mick Jagger. It's Dr. Steve Shin, who's my guest right now. Dr. Shin, I want to ask you about this fascinating muscle. It almost reminds me. Here's a clapper vision. We rode here in our cars. The 10 freeway, they continue to close for no apparent reason. I don't know who's running this city. But anyway, we're in a car. It has a chassis. It has four wheels. That's how we get around. But if you take that car to the beach, you're going to get stuck in the sand. If you take it where the gravel is, the wheels will spin. So some genius came up with the half track, which is what a tank uses to be able to get over sand and rocks, all kinds of terrain. I think we saw it first in World War One, and then ultimately in World War Two. this idea of a half-track so that the ability to have the vehicle move over terrain that is bumpy and, and four wheels would not get the job done, to some extent to hold a can of soda, to hold a hammer, to hold a baseball, to to hold things that are of different dimensions and sizes so that we get a grip and can wrap our palm and fingers around it, you need a half track. You can't have four wheels on the car. You need the half track. Is that what the lumbrical is? 
<laughs> you know, that's a great analogy, uh, Robbie. I, I never would have thought of that myself. <laughs> you are brilliant. Um, Clapper vision. <laughs> Clapper vision. Uh, so yeah, the lumbricle is, is, is just, and there are multiple lumbricles, obviously, and, and is, is just a very unique muscle. Uh, you know, coming from a tendon, going to a bone, uh, and at, like you said before, like the ring finger has different innervations, so do the lumbricles. Some of them are innervated by one nerve and the other is by another nerve. So it's like, wow, who, who thought of this? And, and why does it have to be that way? But that's, that's what adds to the complexity, uh, uh, in, in, in anatomy and function of the hand. Why we have five digits. So I don't know if a lot of people know, but the thumb is not a finger, right? So we, it's actually thumb and four fingers. So if anybody ever asks you how many fingers you have, you've got eight fingers wow. and two thumbs. So, you know, a neat little fact for our listeners out there. So, but anyway, um, so wow. lum- back to the lumbricle. Yeah. A fascinating muscle. It's, it, it allows us to, you know, bend certain joints to straighten out the other ones. So for example, you bring your fingers down, uh, and you kind of form, uh, I don't know, your, your knuckles at 90 degrees, but your fingers are straight. Lumbricles kind of help do that. There are other muscles that do that as well. Uh, but you know, um, uh, it's just amazing, um, that the, the, the almighty being who designed our hand, um, uh, designed in a such a way where we can have such coordination, uh, with each of our fingers, uh, each of our joints, 27 bones, right? It's just, it's absolutely amazing. I want to play a soundbite from 1968 when Johnny Bench was a rookie. I want you to listen to what injuries were like before we had people like Reinhold helping us with Arthrex to make better equipment. He missed his rookie year, Johnny Bench, because of five stitches that he needed in his thumb. Now you may not even use stitch. You may use crazy glue, Durabond, on this finger. Listen to this. This is Gary Nolan, the youngest pitcher in Major League Baseball today, and standing next to him, uh, 